Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 231 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Anthea Sharp all about Kickstarter, and it's going to be a funny episode because... When I actually recorded the interview, I hadn't entirely decided if I was going to do the Kickstarter. And now, as I as I record the intro, my Kickstarter has just 24 hours left to go if you're listening in real time. As I'm recording, there's a week left, but when this go at, goes out, there'll only be 24 hours left, which is just wild how time works. <laughs> No comments on last week's episode, but please do comment on this week's episode because I love to know what you think. Okay, so in personal news and updates then, the Kickstarter has been live for a little while now, I think two weeks. It is doing insane. <laughs> I cannot believe Uh my expectations were so utterly blown out of the water. I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> like, it's just incredible, incredible. Um, so I will probably wrap up some lessons learned about the Kickstarter in the annual lessons learned, which is looking more and more like it's going to be a like two hour behemoth as opposed to my normal one hour episode, just because so much has changed in the last year and there is so much to share in terms of my lessons learned. And uh, obviously there'll be like a, a Rachel Heron-esque uh, money update. I know normally I do an update and it's not... Um, I don't put figures to it, but I'm going to this year. Uh, so I'm really, really excited about this. And I know it's still a couple of months away, but I'm already starting to kind of pull things together in my brain. Also because I have to write it. And so it ends up being like five or 10,000 words of written content. Uh, so it does take a little bit to pull together. So anyway, I'm really excited about that episode. But the Kickstarter, my House of Crimson Hearts special edition, very not safe for work, lesbian vampire romance special edition hardcover, Kickstarter, that is hell of a mouthful is still live however as this airs there is going to be about 24 hours left on the kickstarter so if you haven't been and checked it out if you haven't backed it i would love it if you would go and check it out or if you would tell somebody that you think might enjoy it these special edition copies will not be purchasable anywhere else you will not be able to get them i am not doing another run the only exception to that is if I run another Kickstarter for book two and three, I will make sure that you can order the full set as part of that. Um, but what is included? Well, we have very gay, shiny rainbow uh, foiling, holographic foiling. Uh, there are, I think, three or four pieces of not safe for work art. Oh, oh, oh my God. So I got the sketch <laughs> to the second not safe for work piece yesterday and I nearly shat the bed it is it is filth <laughs> okay I'm not gonna lie it's just filth and I am so freaking excited to see it in full color I literally nearly died um so yeah I am like omg anyway uh <laughs> it is worth it just for not safe for work <laughs> 
art. If for nothing else, if for no other reason, you're going to want the book just for the art. Anyway, anyway. So there's like four pieces of art inside the book, colour art. I think it's four. I think it's four. It might be three out, but I can't. Uh, I'll have to go and check. Anyway, three or four pieces of colour art inside the book. Head and tail bands in vampire colours, a black ribbon that's bound into the book. You've got colour end pages, an illustrated map if you buy the book. And obviously they're hand signed and hand numbered. If you buy the book box, you get um, the art prints because we've met stretch goals, character stickers, bookmarks, um, a print of the map, a playlist, all kinds of goodies. Oh, and a vibrator as well. Um, so, and then there are other tiers as well, of course. Please, please, please go and check it out. If you don't want to check it out, share it with somebody, an ally or somebody who likes reading queer fiction or a queer friend. Let them know about it because this is a one-off. All right. And on that uh, very gay vampire romance point, A House of Crimson Hearts, as this goes live, will be... Is it launch day? It is launch day. Oh, my God. Fuck. That means there's only a week left. Oh, my God. So as this episode airs, it's it's launch day. Yay me. <laughs> I'm so excited. This book has broken all pre-order uh, records. I can't believe it. I actually can't believe this year. I just, just thanks everyone. Thank you so much for the support. Oh my God, I'm getting all emotional. I'm just like, I don't know. I just can't believe this year thank you everybody and yeah if you like vampire romance go and check it out I'm going to read you the blurb and then we'll get on with the episode uh okie dokie once upon a time a vampire corrupted a hunter Octavia Beaumont one of the original three vampires is determined to run the city Red an expert hunter is hellbent on getting revenge on the vampire that turned her sister When deadly trials for the heir of the city begin, Red and Octavia are forced to work together. Octavia wants a crown. Red wants blood. But there's only one first place. To win, they're going to have to trust each other. But teamwork is not easy when their past is filled with betrayal. A betrayal Red can't remember. Someone is lying. Someone has a secret. Everyone has a hidden agenda. The last thing Red and Octavia want to do is fall in love, but hearts remember even when the mind doesn't. To win the trials and get revenge, they must reveal a truth that will shatter their souls, remember a past that will break their hearts, and fight a war that will change the face of the city forever. Three tasks, three choices, three sacrifices. All of them have a cruel price. The question is... Are they willing to pay it? So you can pre-order that on my website, rubyrow.co.uk, or you can pre-order it on any store, any store, any site, because this one is going wide. And then last, in terms of updates from me, I am going to Venice tomorrow morning at the butt crack of dawn tomorrow. I'm super excited. And uh, so I will be away for a few days. And then when I come back, uh, it is going to be full steam ahead with uh, just wiping off a last couple of bits of admin and then outlining and writing new books so I'm super excited for that oh and last but by no means least I will be at London Book Fair and Seville 20 books so if you are going to either of those please do let me know and I will make sure to come and say hello 
The Rebel of the Week this week is Chris. Chris says, In high school, I was lucky to have had some amazing literature teachers who taught us that it wasn't about finding the right answer in our papers, but to present our reactions and points of view as best as possible. As long as our arguments about various books and plays were well-founded and well-researched, we could get a good grade. In my junior year, we read Henry David Thoreau's Walden, or as I called it then, On Walden Pond. That's a reference to the movie On Golden Pond with Henry and Jane Fonda uh, for our younger listeners. I I'm, won't lie, I don't know who these people are. I know who Jane Fonda is. <laughs> Now, my literature teacher loved Thoreau, uh, and I'm probably butchering this pronunciation of that as well, which for some reason irked 16-year-old me. So I took it upon myself to deconstruct all of his points to show how his philosophy wasn't revolutionary or even original. I mapped all of his epiphanies to older philosophers, religions, etc., and I titled this paper, Henry David Thoreau, Genius or an Overrated Nudist. <laughs> I really hope you got a good grade. Uh, I was certainly poking the bear, as they say, and while my teacher disagreed with my ov overall conclusion, he still thought Thoreau a genius. He did He did say my arguments had merit. Ah, oh, and he gave me the A. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love that you got the A anyway. Oh my God, this did make me... This did tickle me pink. I love when, like, we do cheeky little rebellions like this. It brings me so much joy. Oh, thank you so much. And if you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, and please, please, we are, like, constantly on the edge of not having enough, uh, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. That's it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm joined by Anthea Sharp. Anthea is a USA Today best-selling fantasy author, as well as penning USA Today historical romance under the pen name Anthea Lawson. She's been creating Kickstarter campaigns for over two years and has successfully funded all of them, which is nine campaigns totaling over $100,000. Holy moly. In April 2021, she founded the Facebook group Kickstarter for Authors, which currently boasts over three and a half thousand members and is a fabulous community of great authors and useful resources. Hello and welcome. Hello and thank you. I am delighted to be here today. I'm delighted to have you here. I've um I I've Kickstarter has kind of been on my periphery for a little while. And I I keep getting closer and closer to doing it, but like I just need someone to tip me over the edge. <laughs> and I'm hoping well, let that me give you a little I, I would friendly love to give you a shove over. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. Um, okay. But before we talk about Kickstarter, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you, about your journey? Like, how did you end up where you are today with, with words and business and, and all the rest of it? Absolutely. So um, I actually started out just in as a creative. I'm a musician originally. Um, I play the Irish fiddle and um played music in several Celtic bands for years. And uh, then I I read a book um, oh, around 2000 or so. And um, I've always been an avid reader, just love 
young adult fantasy particularly. And then I got into to romances and historical romances. And they were nothing like the romances I remember sneaking off my best friend's mom's shelf, the Harlequins, you know, that were full of um, like long, meaningful pauses and sighs and, and, and not a lot of female agency with the heroine. Um, and so then I got back into reading historicals around 2000 and um, read a book that I was so excited for. And it ended up being one of those books that just disappoints all your reader expectations. And I was so upset. I thought, ah, I'm going to write the book that I wanted this to be. Um, so I sat down and started writing and uh, kind of snowballed from there, got into Romance Writers of America. And uh, I said, oh, this is it. I, I want to be a writer as well as as well as a musician. And the people who didn't know me said, oh, writing, uh, don't quit your day job. And I would laugh at them and say, you know what my day job is? <laughs> Playing the fiddle. So. <laughs> I love that so much because it's quite a similar journey um, for me. I read Divergent and I was sort of like a late teen, like kind of like young adult in the sort of early 20s. And I was furious. Like I loved Divergent, but I read the whole series and I was absolutely furious uh, with how it ended. I felt so betrayed by the ending. And that was one of the spurs that was that like forced me into writing. I was like, no, I need to be able to fix this. I can do this better. I can end this better. You know, <laughs> how hard can writing a book be? <laughs> you know, cocky right? arrogance. Yeah, I know, right? I was such so naive. Um, but yeah, okay. So let's start with a quick explanation of what Kickstarter is and is not. So Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform, um, but a lot of people kind of approach it unclear about the distinction between it and like GoFundMe, which is completely different. So Kickstarter is their mission statement is helping you bring creative projects to life. So it's not a place to bring your sad story about how you broke your hand and you can't write for a while and you really need some money to tide you over. Like, it's not that. It's, hey, I'm making this cool thing. Would you like to help support me? And then you get rewards in return. That is usually the cool thing that you're making. And um, so it's it's very interesting. It's time limited. It's sort of like having a little pop-up store or uh, a big party that you're throwing for a couple of weeks and then it's over. So that really works well for some people, just that super compressed time of you're in there, you're doing it, you're you're promoting your Kickstarter, you're, you're how, helping. Uh, how does it feel in terms of like the comparison to a book launch? Like, is it like... Uh, because there are certain elements of a book launch that feel time limited, right? Like the launch day is a singular day and you work kind of towards that. I suppose the difference is, is that you can then promote that book forever. Like, is it the same kind of project management as like a book launch? Like, how does it, like, is it, do you expend more energy almost doing a Kickstarter because it's so like short time kind of with a really hard deadline? Like, how does it kind of feel energetically? I know that's such a woo-woo question to ask, but I'm no, curious. No, it's a, that's a great question. Um, it's very similar to a book launch in terms of the sort of the pre-work you're doing and getting getting all your ducks in a row, right? You've got your promotions lined up and you've got your um, your your graphics and your 
kind of trying to get people excited and ready. And actually Kickstarter has, when you create a project, you have the ability to put something into pre-launch, which is just a page that's up on the Kickstarter site. And you're just trying to gather people, followers, um, to be notified when you go live. And so that moment of pushing the launch button, which is usually pretty terrifying, you know, even after nine campaigns, um, is is like that moment that your book goes live on the retailers where you're just like, oh, I really hope that this works, right? I, I really hope that people are going to like this and find this and that the support is there. And then, yes, it is, it's much more intense in terms of the sustain over the course of the Kickstarter and there's kind of two ways you can approach it. One is you can just get in there and and be very active on a daily basis, um, trying to keep spreading the word. And then there's some people who do a lot of pre-launch work. They do a little bit of like social media posting and outreach while their Kickstarter is live. And they just are kind of like, well, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. I'm not going to stress about it. And then another little push at the end. So it kind of depends. It can be tailored to what you're comfortable with. I think that if you're more hands-on, you'll probably see you'll see that reflected in your Kickstarter. You know, if if you get out there and promote it more, it'll it'll probably fund a little higher. But so the I hear about the pre-launch page a lot, and you know that you have to do a certain amount of things in the back end before you get that pre-launch page. Um, and lots of people saying, you know, it's almost like having a mailing list that you can notify immediately once it goes live and stuff. Like, do we need that six months in advance? Like, can we just drop it a couple of weeks before we want to, you know, and push everybody there for a couple of weeks? Or like, what is the some? You know, I I, I feel so conflicted. Like, I hear so many people. Um, talk about Kickstarter and make it feel like it's really hard because of the amount of work that is involved in it. But yeah, I mean, like, can we just do a little low pressure? Like, You totally can. So one of the things, um, the big fancy Kickstarters are the ones that usually get a lot of attention and notice, you know, with um, like a full on special edition and there's all these extras that you can unlock and it's like this big deal and it's funding up into the, well into the mid five figures or above. Um, and that can be exhausting. Like you don't have every, every campaign doesn't have to be that you don't have to do a huge campaign. And in fact, my advice for a first time Kickstarter is to just keep it really basic. Um, Do a print on demand hardcover. If you don't have any books in hardcover, pick one of your backlists or maybe um, a backlist trilogy or do an omnibus, put that into print on demand hardcover and just go from there, offer your eBooks and um, the pre-launch question. So when I was first starting out and that was um, a couple of years ago, so Kickstarter was uh, kind of different than it is now. It's definitely, I started uh, right before Brandon Sanderson did his enormous $42 million (laughs) book campaign on Kickstarter, which made a lot of authors kind of sit up and take notice, right? Like, Oh, wait, $42 million for books. And I mean, he has his, he's, you can't replicate, you know, what, what Brandon Sanderson does, but um, there's definitely people out there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I didn't know I was like, Oh, now my Kickstarter is all ready. And so I'll just push go. Like I got it approved with, so you, you put together your campaign behind the scenes, you get it approved. And then from the approval, you can either go into pre-launch or you can just go live. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I'm ready. I'm pushing the launch button. So I had no pre-launch on my first campaign. I just threw it out there. And um, 
that one funded over seven thousand dollars so that was pretty exciting yeah holy so shit it doesn't and that was for a um what i just described so i took um a backlist trilogy i put it into a hardcover omnibus nothing fancy just pod through ingram um but tried to do it you know some nice design touches like you can do the full page chapter spreads in vellum and you can do a separate under the dust jacket case design and so i did just you know a couple of those little things yeah amazing I love it yeah so like um, I will confess to you that I've like sort of half planned a kickstarter like I just haven't quite gone in and like set it all up but I've got a friend who's done a couple who's like I'm gonna come to your house and we're gonna set it up and you are gonna do it but like I I'm keeping it super basic there's only three tiers it's all physical hardback books um and I'm just waiting to have a discussion with um, somebody who's going to help me fulfill it just to make sure I can get the cover the way that I want it. And if I can, because I do want like foiling on it. So like that's mm-hmm. kind of feels like the one complication. Everything else is under my control in terms of like we can we now have the ability to do a print page, a color page, sorry, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm just shitting my pants. <laughs> It's, it's terrifying. It really is because you go out there and um, authors bring a lot of baggage with us, you know, wherever <laughs> we go. And there's the whole like, what if I fail? What yeah. if it doesn't fund? And then everyone will know that I didn't do it. But the, the beautiful thing about Kickstarter is that if your project doesn't fund successfully, it's really not a big deal. In fact, only about... of the projects on Kickstarter as a whole succeed. Like 60% don't make their funding goal. So that's a pretty common thing. And, and backers, people who support are completely used to that. So people won't say, Oh, I supported this and she didn't fund. So forget it. Never again. There's actually someone in our Kickstarter group right now in the Kickstarter for authors, Facebook group, which Everyone should go join right now. Um, but he just finally, third time out, funded his campaign that he's been trying and trying. And he just would pick himself up every time, figure out what he could do better and learn. And third time, that finally is, got it over the, yeah. That's incredible in terms of like the level of resilience to be able to do that. I think that's absolutely amazing. And what? not everyone has that. Yeah, exactly. But so, okay, so let's talk about that. Like, what are some tips and tricks to help a project fund? Like, what are some key actions that you feel have helped you to get projects over the line? Or what do you think, yeah, what actions do you think are integral to your campaigns and making them successful? Well, I'd love to um, to sort of circle back around to the pre-launch question um, because even though my first campaign had no pre-launch and it was quite successful, it is a good idea to to get a pre-launch up. And it can be, sure, for just a couple of weeks. That's yeah. fine. But you just want to have a place to start collecting people when you start kind of saying, hey, this is this is coming. This is this is going to be a thing um, that also helps people like your audience who maybe isn't familiar with Kickstarter. In order to follow a project, you need to make a Kickstarter account. So that just kind of gets the ball rolling a little bit that way. Um, and I do recommend that you try and get, you know, bare minimum 25 people following your project um, and more is better in the game sphere. So Kickstarter is, you know, 
definitely known and and developed for the games side of things. And games tend to be a much higher fund proposition because when you're creating a game, you need 10,000 or 30,000 or 100,000 to get your game into manufacturing. So you have much higher um, minimum funding goals that you have to make for your project to happen. Oh, um, I, and I so would have been games, happy with about a thousand pounds, to be honest. <laughs> you will definitely find a thousand pounds. I can tell you that right now. Um, but but those ones in the game sphere, they say, oh, you need a thousand followers. You need 4,000 followers for pre-launch. Not at all. Like if you can, if you can get 50 followers pre-launch for, for your book campaign, you'll be just fine. And if you launch with 200 followers, you're going to be great. So, so that's one of the things. Um, and the other is just really, there are a number of best practices that you can use to, to get people interested in your campaign. Um, one of the fears a lot of people have um, is I'm not a big name author, so obviously I could never do a Kickstarter, right? And that's the flip side of the Brandon Sanderson coin. It's like, well, I'm not Brandon Sanderson, so there's no way. Um, but Kickstarter does have a nice little discoverability ecosystem. So if you can get a campaign out there that's enticing, that's something that people are like, oh, that looks cool. I'd like to back that. Um, generally, campaigns get about 50% or more of their pledges coming from Kickstarter and from Kickstarter's discoverability tools. So, Wowza. So um, are there any kind of key marketing things that we should be doing? And sorry for everybody listening. My wife has decided to hoover whilst I'm podcasting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, are there like any marketing things? What kind of communications should we do? Like, can we plan this in, in advance? Do we have to do like a live thing? Like, what are what are the things that help really like kick a Kickstarter off, if you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so one of the great things about Kickstarter is that there is no one true way to do a Kickstarter, you know, and I've seen people do very quiet, mellow, long running Kickstarters where they just, they launch it, they let people know, it just ticks along for like a month, maybe even longer, which is pretty long for a Kickstarter. Um, and they just go along and it's quietly gathering pledges as it goes and then they're done. Um, and then for other people who have a different kind of personality, yeah, launching with a big, with with a blast, with a boom. Um, so I've seen people, so Shannon Meyer was a great example. Um, she has a huge rabid fan base and, and a very active Facebook group. And so she launched her campaign live in her Facebook group and celebrated with her supporters and her readers in her Facebook group. And they funded right away. And then they went on a smash through a whole bunch of the stretch goals. And it was just a super big, exciting live party for everybody. Um, there's, there's a woman in the Kickstarter for Authors group who rented a part of an adorable little library in her hometown and invited her friends and family and printed out invitations and had like a gala launch party for her Kickstarter where she had her computer set up and they like, they all had their glasses of champagne and she hit the button and like, you know, hopefully you're going to fund pretty quickly so that everyone can, can toast. Um, so you can, you can make it as 
big an event or as as little as you as you personally would like. And what are some of like your key marketing tactics? Like how do you drive people to Kickstarter? Like are you just posting on social media? Is it just a matter of using your newsletter? Like what kind of stuff are you doing to to drive that traffic and bring awareness of your Kickstarters? Absolutely. So any author who's interested in using Kickstarter needs to start warming up the audience like right now. Um, I, one common mistake that I see authors make is they're like, oh, you know, I have 5,000 person mailing list. This is great. I'm going to like let them know and, you know, X number will come over and support my Kickstarter. And a very, very small percent, like very few people, maybe maybe two or three people off your 5,000 person mailing list will actually come support your Kickstarter if you have not been warming your audience up to the idea. Hey, this is what Kickstarter is. This is why you'd like to use it. I just supported this project where I got these beautiful bookmarks along with the book and everyone gets to have a Zoom chat with the author. I'm so excited. Yeah, so it's so really letting your, your readers know because it's asking them to move to a completely different platform. And a lot of readers are like, yeah, I'm good. I'll just go to my retailer and get it. So um, so that's one thing is just really very, very far in advance. Start letting your personal reader audience know, hey, this is a thing. This is why I'm using it. This is why it's great to support authors on Kickstarter. It's not a money bag. You get a thing when you pledge for, for a campaign. Um, think of it like a pre-order or an exclusive sale or both words you never want to put actually in your Kickstarter oh. sale and pre-order because um, Kickstarter does not think of itself as a retailer. So they don't want people to be using retailer sales language type words. Interesting they because are, I am going to run it yeah. at the same time as my launch. So I'm basically doing um, ebook, paperback, hardback, normal versions, they're launching as normal and alongside that i'm going to do a limited like just this kickstarter special edition version um and i'm going to run it i mean i, I might be insane doing it but there's nothing like getting it all out in one go because i want to be like this is your other option you can either do the normal one or you can do the special edition one and and anybody who orders a special edition one will get the ebook. So they, even though they have to wait for the physical copy, because I'm going wide, I'm going to give them the ebook. So they'll get the ebook probably a day or two before everybody else gets it like wide. So um, yeah, but that's really good to know because I probably would have accidentally used some language like that because that's what we're used to writing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and Kickstarter will, will let you know if you have um, language in your in your campaign that they're like, mm, yeah, no, we, we don't say that here. So, um, <laughs> um, so other, other marketing things. Um, so the best actually best marketing for Kickstarter is collaborating with other creators on Kickstarter to help boost each other's signal. Um, and it's very much the, the rising tide, you know, sort of ethos um, the best place to find people who support book Kickstarters is on Kickstarters on in, within the Kickstarter platform itself. Um, so one of the time honored ways to do marketing and Kickstarter, and this is 
before the book ecosystem really became robust, um, the games and comics people were doing this all the time, was when you create a Kickstarter and you run it, one of the ways you communicate with your backers is something called a, an update. And so you send an update to your backers, which goes in their email directly from Kickstarter that says, hey, we did it. We hit our funding goal. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. That email that goes out to people, Kickstarter always appends about four other projects on the bottom of the email, just, just automatically, um, because they're always trying to source more discoverability for projects. Um, but what the creator can do is put put other projects before those. So down at the, the bottom of your update, you say, and also check out these other great campaigns from my friends. And you post in the, the image and a direct link to your friends' Kickstarters. And then you say, hey, I boosted you in my update. And they say, great, I have an update coming in three days. I'll boost your campaign. Um, because the people who are on Kickstarter, there's there's a term called super backer. And the super backers are supporting multiple campaigns every month. And if they love books, then they love books and they love supporting book campaigns. So sure, I mean, you quote, run the risk of someone saying, oh, actually, I like that other campaign better. And so I'm going to cancel my pledge on your campaign and go to that campaign. But the reverse could be true as well, right? And usually you don't see a loss of campaigns from boosting other people's projects. One of the things I always hear is get the shipping right, get the shipping right. So I feel like that is probably the most common mistake people make. And that's also one of the reasons I'm going to work with a with a fulfillment um, company. Uh, but, uh, well, not company. I, I don't want to name names yet because we're still in negotiations. But anyway, um, apart from shipping, what are some common mistakes that you see people making with their Kickstarters? Yeah, definitely. Um, shipping is so scary for people because it, particularly if you're charging for shipping within your Kickstarter campaign, um, if you get it wrong, that's it. Like it's not done to go back to your, to your backers and say, Oh, I messed up. I need 15 more dollars from you. Like, no. So, it, so if you calculated incorrectly, you're just eating that cost and, and that's scary for people. Um, the other thing is that in the U.S., we are used to fairly reasonable shipping fees. Um, not not a ton of U.S. authors ship books overseas. And so there's a huge sticker shock from the creator side when you realize, oh, my God, it's going to cost $60 to send my books to Australia. Um, and there's a real reluctance to charge that. And, and people are like, oh. Well, either I'm not going to offer international shipping at all because no way, or people are like, well, I'll offer it, but no one will ever pledge from Australia unless I discount the shipping, right? But there are solutions out there. And um, I actually address shipping twice in my book because it is such a stumbling block for people. But there are tools out there and there are ways to figure out your shipping. Um, if you're an overseas creator, same kind of deal. Um if you're trying to ship into the U.S. from, you know, for example, if you're in the U.K., you want to sign your books and, and ship them to the U.S., uh, American American backers are, are not used to, Kickstarter backers are used to paying high shipping. But, you know, most of your readers will be like, what? 
how much is that going to cost to get my book? Um, but there are solutions out there. Absolutely. And the main thing is just to do your research and figure it out. You know, don't go in blind. And we're, we're indie authors. We, we know how to look things up and figure it out. Um, you're going to need a couple of really important tools, a kitchen scale and a tape measure and some books, and then you'll be able to figure out shipping worldwide. Um, how much do you buy in advance? One of the things that I found really difficult with Kickstarter is like, obviously on the set. So I've supported probably half a dozen Kickstarters, maybe more now. Um, and one of the things that I find really difficult is understanding what you need to invest up front because, you know, the, the Kickstarter pages, the sales pages are really pretty. Um, and quite often people already have the artwork done. So you know what artwork's going into the book. But then in order to do that, you have to pay up front for the art. So like what, you know, how much do we do up front? Like, are we ordering products and samples and things up front? What are we, how is that, how does that work? Great question. Um, so you absolutely need your front cover of your book done. That is the number one thing you absolutely have to have up front. Um, I've seen maybe two or three successful Kickstarters that had sort of this is what the front cover art will look like, or here's a mock-up similar to what my artist does. Um, but most of the time, your project is not really going to be successful if people can't actually see what they're getting, right? Um, because Kickstarter is a highly visual platform. And this is another mistake um, that I often see authors make when they're putting together a campaign is just walls of text because we're so used to communicating with words, right? So I'm just going to um, and really, if you if you start getting in there, and then you have two more paragraphs and then an image. Um, those images don't have to be your character art in your campaign. Um, they can be stock photos that convey the sense. They can be just uh, mock-ups of your book or books, um, your front cover or a piece of your front cover, a trope graphic with the little swirly arrows that tell you what's inside the book. Um, but you definitely need a book cover. And if you are doing an art heavy campaign, if you're, if you're talking about character art and things, um, then you definitely need that, that artwork in advance as well. So yeah. And I've, I've in already, terms of, sorry, yeah. no, I was just going to say like, um, before I even started, even before I even decided I was going to do the Kickstarter, I was like, oh, I'm just going to do a book box from my own website. I'm, I'm just going to do a book box. So I paid for all the artwork. I, you know, had a bunch of bookmarks printed and stickers printed of different character art and all this kind of stuff. And then someone was like, have you already got that stuff? Why do you do a Kickstarter? And I was like, uh, and then I was like, oh, okay. And so like, I don't know. I mean, if there was some miracle and I had to order more, I'd just order more. But otherwise, you know, I already have half the stuff because I was going to do a book box anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, so I am in the fortunate position that I have artwork and I've got another artist lined up as a stretch goal. Um, if like, um, yeah, if I reach a particular goal, then I'll add more art into the book, um, like from another artist. But like, yeah, can we talk a little bit about stretch goals? Like how that's the only one that I've thought of. <laughs> um, actually, I have got another idea, but um, yeah, how 
how do you come up with these stretch goals? How do you know what's appropriate? How do you not shaft yourself um, and the profit that you make with the stretch goals? Like what are the things to avoid? What are the things that you should do? Um, yeah. Absolutely. So um, one of the things is that a Kickstarter itself has an element of theater about it. And so, yes, you absolutely, you have all of these things already and you definitely want to include some of those in your reward tiers, particularly if you're releasing at the same time or close to the same time to entice people to come and, and support the Kickstarter. You get this, it slices, it dices, but wait, there's more. You also get that. Um, but if you have things like stickers, hold those back as a stretch. Like you don't have to lay everything out on the table all at once. If you have a ton of things already made, um, then you can say, hey, when we, you know, X amount of numbers after dollars, pounds, after we fund, um, then we're going to unlock this. Uh, everybody gets a sticker. And definitely you can do a lot with digital, digital rewards. Um, so one of the things I do is I do character art and I do character art cards. And for people who are not backing physical, they get like a high res um PDF or, or JPEG of, of the file. You can do digital wallpapers. You can do things that, like you said, aren't going to break the bank. Uh, bookmarks are a great way to go. And you can do a physical bookmark and then a printable bookmark for your digital backers. So, so it's really important to try and be yeah inclusive. Um, if you have backlist, hey, short stories make great stretch rewards or a collection like I have a a collection of fantasy stories that were a, were a stretch in my most recent campaign and that one got unlocked. And so everybody gets that and they just get it digital. I'm not going to be sending out the prints. So everyone just gets a, a digital reward. And um, so things like that or more artwork or um, a tea chat with the author over Zoom, you know, those are, those are all things. My very first campaign, I did a fiddle concert since I play the fiddle and uh so just a little recorded concert and everybody got that so you can think out that. of the box completely so one of the things that I was thinking of doing um I have some experience narrating and so I was gonna do just the spice like just the spice scenes like and narrate those and sort of bundle them up for the readers because well, I suppose author, you know, if you can do it, then author narrated stuff is pretty cool. And I mean, I love writing spice. So that like, and this whole campaign is it, actually, that's actually a question. So the, the whole point of this is, so I write lesbian, spicy fantasy romance, but lesbian. And the reason I do it is because I'm so like as a bookworm, I'm so tired of not having any queer, <laughs> like fantasy romance for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I started doing this. Um, but more than that, like all the pretty book boxes, all the girls get, um, it really upsets me that there's no not safe for work art. Like, and so this whole campaign is about naughtiness essentially. And so there's not safe for work art in the book. Um, like there's, you know, all this stuff. And um, so that's why I'm thinking like the spicy scenes, maybe I'll just narrate the spicy scenes and that would be like a, like a bonus or something. 
Um, but so I've heard a lot that we should have like a whopper tier that is like really way and above all of the other tiers. Like, what do you do you think that we should have a really sort of a, a higher priced tier at all? Or do you not necessarily think that it's uh, like and how do we know what to do with that? Um, well, if you look, some campaigns have the big super fan tier, right? So it it includes all the books um, often signed. Um, if you have a large backlist, so Kickstarter, one of the ways that you know that your campaign will do fine is if you have a lot of backlist and you can include that in your Kickstarter, even at, either at a higher level tier or add as an add-on to your campaign, which is what... Once someone makes a pledge, then they have the ability to go to the add-ons and add things on. Um, and on that, what I take it it's only digital add-ons. They're not adding on physical copies of things because of shipping. Is that right? Like, how would that work? You can absolutely add on physical copies. And and so Kickstarter automatically um, changes so one of the... the things Sorry, I think we have a delay now. Um, so Kickstarter we automatically changes the shipping, does it? When if somebody adds on, like I say, a bundle of physical books. No, and this is one of the issues actually with the add-ons. So we we touched briefly on shipping before, and there are there are two ways that you can do shipping with your Kickstarter. Um, one is you charge within the Kickstarter campaign. And then the other one is you charge after your campaign is over through a third-party pledge manager. Um, Backerkit is the most well-known one, and Pledgebox is another good one. And these companies um, spring up partially because Kickstarter doesn't, um, the platform doesn't have a good way of dealing with the shipping when you do add-ons. Um, and partially because people who are making games, for example, sometimes these games are in production for a year, maybe more, and the shipping is just going to be a guess at that point. Like we think that in a year and a half, shipping costs will be X, and it's really hard to say. Um, and Kickstarter won't let you delay and charge shipping way down the line. So, so these other pledge managers sort of cropped up to help deal with that so that you could charge for shipping afterwards. You could say it ships anywhere in the world. And then once your backer has kind of made their order, put in their pledge, then in these after third party pledge managers, you can charge exactly the amount of shipping for the things that they are getting sent to their country. Um, so there's advantages to doing that. I personally have not used any of the third-party pledge managers. I've figured out ways to make it work within Kickstarter that makes sense for me. Um, and one of those is just including the shipping price in the add-on. And one of the things too to know is that people can't add a physical book after the fact if they haven't pledged for a physical tier. So, you know, they're already in for, for some amount of shipping. So you can kind of think, well, if they're going to pledge for a physical chair, then I don't need to charge the full amount of shipping. So there's some some balances you can do. What are some of the things that you wish you'd known, like maybe with your first Kickstarter or like what improvements have you made to your Kickstarters over the years? Like what are the big lessons that you've taken away? Um, Even though my first Kickstarter was quite successful without a pre-launch. I 
think I could have benefited from a pre-launch on that. And and now I always have a pre-launch and sometimes quite a long one. Um, depending if I have a big project, I'll do like maybe a, a three or a four months um, pre-launch. There are some people out there who do one big Kickstarter a year and they, as soon as their Kickstarter closes, they put up the pre-launch for their next one a year down the road. Um, so what other things? Um, I've gotten smarter about figuring out shipping. So my very first campaign, I was petrified at the idea of international shipping. So I didn't, I was like, this is US only. I, I don't know how to figure out how to ship internationally. And um, then I lost out on, you know, a fair number of pledges. So the second campaign, I was like, oh, there was there was one person who got a hold of me on my first campaign from the UK and said, I'm just going to pay you a lot of money. I'm going to, you know, here's my Kickstarter pledge. Plus, I'm going to put all of this on top and that should pay the shipping and just keep whatever's left over. And I said, OK, I should probably figure this out. So then for subsequent campaigns, I figured that out, um, figured out how to drop ship books um, from a POD printer like Ingram um, and then send along just first class mail, uh, signed book plate and a bookmark, you know, ways to do, quote, sign book and defray the cost to my backers. So that's, you know, that's definitely something every time I, I try something a little bit different, uh, early bird reward or a backer bonus or a different kind of stretch. And um, just it, it's interesting because Kickstarter can be very simple. It You can just have your, your project that's not too fancy, not too full of bells and whistles or it can be incredibly complex. It's, uh, it's sort of like, it's sort of like an iceberg, right? And you can sail up to it, and you can just climb around on the top. But then, as soon as you start diving, you realize, oh, this this goes really deep. Yeah, I'm like both excited and terrified of that depth. <laughs> like, I really, my goal is to keep it as simple as humanly possible. I think this time, and and because I'm launching it concurrently with the the normal launch that's why I'm not going to do an ebook tier like I know everybody says you can make so much with digital and I'm like I know but the whole reason I was doing it was selfishly I wanted the special naughty lesbian book <laughs> so I'm like this is why I'm doing it this was my goal was to make a physical special physical book that's like so I kind of feel like you know what I'm just going to keep it nice and simple um and hope that it works <laughs> Um, it will. Okay. It totally will. So one of the things about Kickstarter that is is great is that um, the quirky, the the slightly off the beaten path, the the things that are a little weird are the projects that tend to do better there than like just super straight up mainstream. Um, you know, interestingly, there's not a huge uh, backer ecosystem there for contemporary romance, for example. So. Just partially because contemporary romance it, it has a huge bite of the pie elsewhere, right? Um, and so people don't come to Kickstarter looking for contemporary romance because you can find it all over the retailers. But if you want your your super hot, spicy, sapphic romanticy in special edition, you're not going to find that a lot of places. So exactly, and that's why I'm doing it because you really can't find think, it anywhere. Think... Um. Okay. So. 
With all this being said, I am leaving things a smidgen late because I am going to release this book. This book is, well, more or less, I'm sending it to the editor on Friday. Um, so I want it to release at the end of February. Um, and I want the the, the pledge page, um, the pre-order page, whatever it's called, live kind of by the end of the month. Like how, am I in complete denial? Like I've been writing this stuff and collecting images and all the rest of it for a while. Like, am I in complete denial? Can I just do this? Like, can I just get it up nice and simple? Um, or is it going to take me weeks? And I'm probably in a bit of denial about how much time this is going to take. So what you want to do, like right now, as soon as you wake up in the morning um, is you want to start building your campaign and get it into pre-launch. And the thing is, and here's another step that, that people often make is that your project doesn't need to be all finished and all the final artwork and all beautifully polished before you put it in for approval. You just need to have some things in every area of the Kickstarter. So you need to have your story section with, hey, hi, this is about the book, about the world, about the author. These are my list of rewards, my stretch rewards, my add-ons. Here are the risks, um, which is a required section. Um, but you can even put things like, you know, parentheses, beautiful artwork here, close parentheses. Like it doesn't have to be fully built out. You'll need to have a couple of your reward tiers. You'll need to go through um, setting up with a payment processing system. And you'll need to have your banner, your campaign image. And then you put that in as soon as you have everything in every single one of their little, their little pages that you need to fill out. Then you can put in a, for approval. And that usually takes anywhere from one to three days, depending on how backed up they are. And then as soon as your campaign is approved, you put it in to pre-launch. And no one can see anything except your campaign image, your name, and the title and subtitle of your campaign. So no one can actually see, oh, this is barely half finished. So do that right now, like get the the most basic bits of information in there and get your pre-launch page up like right away. Okay. Okay. Is I'm going to do that Friday. And then you can keep working on it behind <laughs> for you launch. It's that's the other thing is, is that your campaign, your page is fluid. You know? Yeah. I, I think I'll do that Friday. Like I just need to get the book to the editor. And then I think once it's out of my brain, I might persuade my friend to come over and help me like set up my uh, campaign page on like Friday afternoon or something. Um, okay. I am very, very excited. Like what, um, I'm going to ask you the ultimate podcast question in, in a second, but is there anything else that you want to say to listeners who've maybe been thinking about doing a Kickstarter, worried about it? Um, any any last kind of points before I ask you the ultimate podcast question? Yes, um, I would say definitely do do your research. I mean, I've also seen people jump in and say, oh, well, this is easy. You just... Yeah. I'm doing a book campaign, give me $20,000. And it just doesn't work that way, right? Um, and your funding goal is a floor, not a ceiling. And that's something that trips a lot of people up. Um, they say, oh, well, I see I see um, campaigns funding for all of this, so I'm going to ask for that. 
and it's not it's a floor not a ceiling and it and any advice success. on where to start that you know because I was like oh I think a thousand pounds is like quite a lot to <laughs> right well it depends and then again it depends on what kind of project you're doing so if you're doing a print on demand where you're not paying up front for a large print run we recommend generally $500 as your starting point. And I've seen a lot of campaigns start with a $500 funding goal and go on to make $20,000. Um, and Kickstarter backers don't look at that and say, oh, well, they're funded, they're fine. Um, because it's not like a GoFundMe or something like that. It's every pledge just means that more of that, like more people will be able to to get your beautiful book, right? If you are doing a print run, however, um, so an offset print run where you're doing special foiling edges, et cetera, then you you are obligated for a certain amount of books when you approach the printer and they say, okay, and usually a hundred books is the minimum. So you're going to want to set your funding goal to make sure you're not going to go in the red. So you don't want to set a $500 funding goal, but oh, wait, my books cost me $2,000. So now I'm out you know, and I funded 700. So now I have to pay all of this out of pocket. So, um, so my number one, <laughs> my number one advice is, yeah, just to do your research, get out there, get on Kickstarter, start supporting projects, you'll learn so much from using the platform. And that's also advantageous when you go to make a Kickstarter, um, because people see, oh, here's someone who's part of the ecosystem, they're not coming in and saying, give me your money. You know, there's someone who who's involved creatively on both sides of the platform um, and then join the Kickstarter for authors group on Facebook, which is just a wonderful, supportive, advice filled community of authors who are really there to to help support each other. And um, and then let yourself start small. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. Yes, that I have fully given myself permission to do like a baby Kickstarter, <laughs> like zero expectations, you know, um, and and just like also because I'm I'm doing it for a really meaningful reason. So even if I can like make this product for like 10 people who like have been searching for it, I'll be really happy because then I can print a copy for me too. <laughs> like because exactly. I just, I, you know, I want to give, I want, other bookworms who happen to be queer to have this so that is why I'm doing it so for me it's not really about the money it's about like yeah I don't know just giving the community something that I think we should have you know I think a lot of people do focus on the money side but yeah there are all kinds of other intangible rewards you can get from running a kickstarter including getting to get your beautiful edition of your book exploring a new platform finding new readers um, and the other thing that's just amazing to authors about Kickstarter is the transparency and the amount of data you get about the people who are supporting your books is kind of mind blowing after working on retailers for, you know, decades. Yeah. Yeah. You're telling me. Um, so let me just ask, uh, cause I think we've, we've had such an organic conversation. We've gone all over the houses, but what I would love to know is, um, about the highest tier, like what should we do for that? Right. Absolutely. Um, so there's there's ways you can be clever about it as well. So one of the things I see authors doing is offering things like tuckerization, which is where um, your reader or supporter is allowed to name a character. Um, sometimes there's multiple tuckerization tiers, like for an extra $200, 
name the character for an extra $250, name the villain and tell us how they're going to come to their, their evil ends. Um, so there are ways you can enhance the value, even if you don't have a whole lot of books or a whole lot of other things to add in. Um, so, and the other thing about a super high level tier is that it's, it's like those studies they've done with with people who are tasting wines and deciding what wine tastes the best. And they've always found if they put a super expensive bottle, like people will step down to the next one down, you know, whereas if you didn't have that super expensive bottle, like people always go two down from the top, right? Or one down from the top. So you want to, you want to have something up, up there at the top for people to feel like they're getting a better deal if they pledge the next one down. Okay. That's really good to, to, to um, ponder because I haven't come up with a super high tier. So I'm going to think about that. Um, and I suppose my last question is, do you have to have a complete series? Can you just do this with a first in series? Like, do you have to, you know, deliver three books or 10 books or how does that work? Um, so I've talked a lot about backlist and doing special editions and things like that, but there are plenty of authors who actually use Kickstarter for their debut novel. Um, and, and do that successfully. It can be a really good way to launch a book prior to launching it in the, on the retailers, partially because you're already recouping some of the costs of publishing. Um, so we know that as authors, you do need to go into the red for, you know, your cover and your copy editing, your editing, all of that. Um, so launching your debut on Kickstarter is a good thing to do. I've seen also a number of authors build their series on Kickstarter. So they launch book one and then they launch book two. And when you launch book two, you're also including book one in your reward tiers. Um, even though Kickstarter's mission statement is to bring a, a new creative project to life, that doesn't mean you can't offer other things like you know your previous books or you know, the rest of your backlist or whatever. But your campaign just has to be around the new thing that's happening. So yeah, um, Backlist is really helpful to increase your your Kickstarter's monetary success, um, but it's it's not required at all. Okay, well, this is the <laughs> Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. You know, funnily enough, in a way, I think going to Kickstarter is a rebellious act, right? Um, why I decided I'm going to give this platform a try is because I was just done with the retailer hamster wheel, right? I'm just like, F you big retailers. I am sick of this ridiculousness of like living or dying by the algorithm. Something changed. Oh, wait, you have the super deep discount. I was like, forget it. I'm, I'm leaving you behind and I'm going to go try something else. Um, so I think for every author who who does that, who says, I am finding a different path, a different way. Um, but that's a wonderful rebellious act. Um, and then also along those same lines, uh, just going indie, you know, and embracing being an indie publisher. I was originally traditionally published. And so that's a completely different world. And just the the freedom of, of leaving traditional publishing behind is, is a wonderful thing. Oh, absolutely. I love the freedoms that being indie gives us, the flexibility, the fact that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. I love it. Well, would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, your Kickstarter book, and anything else you'd like to add? 
Absolutely. So um, you can find me. Um, you can find me on Kickstarter as Fiddlehead Press. And one of the things you can do is find Fiddlehead Press and click the follow button, and then you'll be uh, notified anytime I do a campaign. Um, you can find the Kickstarter for authors book at my book at my online bookstore, uh, fiddleheadpress.com. Um, and you can also find it on all the usual retailer suspects. Um, but if you want to go to fiddleheadpress.com and pick up a copy of the Kickstarter book, I would love to offer a 10% coupon uh, for all the listeners of the podcast. So um, maybe that'll be dropped in the links. And as far as my author self, my other author self, uh, I write fantasy as Anthea Sharp. You can find me at anthiasharp.com and historical romance as Anthea Lawson, anthealawson.com. If you're a fan of um, Victorian Christmas novellas, I'm your gal. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Anthea Sharp, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Kate Rundy from Podium, and uh, Podium have done the audiobooks for the Ruby Road Girl Games series. So that was an insightful discussion about how Podium works, what authors can do to promote their audiobooks, and uh, what Kate and Podium think are coming for audio so join me next week for that don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher and when you have a moment please leave a review